0: Uh, Okay. All right. We ready? Yes. Little sound. You have your coffee. I have some cold brew ready to go. Oh, man. So I'm on, I'm, we're, we're yin and yang today because I've got my hot coffee. It is my same old bulletproof coffee. (laughs) <laughs> well, everybody, hi, and welcome to Gallery Guide, at Sordoni Artcast. I'm Heather. I'm the, the director of what we call the SAG, Sordoni Art Gallery.
1: And I'm Carly Stasco. I'm the outreach coordinator, and we are coming to you from the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University to break down this is a robbery. So what is going on at the gallery, Heather?
0: Yeah, yeah. So right now, we just opened the exhibition entitled Carbon. Um, coming soon, we'll be talking with the artist um, who is behind Carbon. His name is Ray Klimick And he will be talking about his exhibition, as well as some other perspectives um, about his influences, inspirations, all that sort of fun stuff to give you a deeper understanding. And
1: Ray is literally like one of the funnest people to talk to that we've had in the gallery, like really, really enjoyable.
0: (laughs) Yes, and it's what I think what's really awesome about him is that he makes uh, a lot of very broad and abstract kind of thoughts, very accessible. So I I love that about his work. I also love about his work, this ongoing, like uh, different ways to take a stab at a theme. And that's represented in the beautiful web of, of, uh, of photographs and photo inspired kind of processes that are in the gallery as well as his straight photography as well. Unfortunately,
1: we are not going to be talking about that exhibition today. We teased this while we were in between shows. So today we're going to be a little offbeat, a little bit more casual. And besides setting up Carbon, we also both binged This is a Robbery, the Uh, world's biggest art heist on Netflix. And we've been talking about it in the office so much, we wanted to bring our conspiracy theories
0: to to, to you. Yeah, it's 100%. So we figured we'd explain why. Uh, I mean, Carly and I are always kind of talking about what we're watching and um, why we chose this series to present to you was that, you know, number one, we were both really looking forward to it. And um, (laughs) I love, I love like great heist films, you know, Ocean's 11 or even like the Lupin series on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, You see these great like heist movies that are like these this all this like slick ingenuity for like sexy art heist you know like really really glamorous and and like suspenseful and fun and the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist is like absolutely not that (laughs) (laughs) you have these like this real life priceless artworks that have been missing since since St. Patty's Day in 1990 and it seems like it should not have worked yet It is still unresolved today, and that's wild.
1: (laughs) I have also been, like, long time enamored with this case as well. Um, Since I heard about it a couple years ago, I think the first time was actually just um, a drunk history episode, which I do recommend because they cover it well as well. Yeah. But I also just am obsessed with this idea of somebody stumbling across a missing piece of culture at, like, a yard sale, a Goodwill, and I know that what was it like only about two decades ago someone found an imperial fabergé egg at a flea market in the midwest midwest united states so i'm saying if i go to boston often enough there's nothing stopping me from finding a missing rembrandt
0: right 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 remind people how many true fabergé eggs there are in the world oh my god so there's only like
1: 50 imperial fabergé eggs like everyone thinks there's so many now the fabergé design company did do a lot of other things, and they did make other eggs, but not for the imperial family. So they are Fabergé eggs, but not imperial Fabergé eggs. And there's a Carly fun fact for you. (laughs) I love Carly fun
0: facts.
1: (laughs) All right, so back to the robbery. Um, Where is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum located?
0: Yeah, so it's up in Boston. Um, It opened in 1903. Uh, Construction began in 1899. It was complete by 1901, but it took until 1903 for Isabella Stewart Gardner to complete the installation of the museum, which she arranged herself.
1: Right, they do get into that into the documentary a little bit. And one of the crazy things was she actually um, brought in a blind students to test the acoustics before it opened, so that nobody would see what was going on, but it would still be perfect. <laughs> That's so so it, great. She is, she is a bit out there. Tell us more about Isabella Stewart Gardner.
0: Yeah, you know, she was an an eccentric socialite who was left an inheritance by her father, so that was about 175 million, Um, and this is, you know, as a result she began collecting art, so one of her first acquisitions was the Vermeer that was stolen during the heist and we will talk about that painting a little bit further. But the thing about Isabella Stewart Gardner, and I, I just want to call her Isabella, but I know we should really not be doing that with women because women tend to just be called by their first names and that tends to demean all of their accomplishments. But uh, Isabella Stewart Gardner, which is a mouthful, uh, her and her husband, Jack, um, were very well traveled and they were very inspired by the architecture of Italy, which in particular was uh, the Palazzo Barbaro in Venice, which is a palace. That's kind of what they use as their inspiration to build the building itself. Now, um, Jack died suddenly of a stroke, and in his memory, Isabella continued their plan to purchase the land in Boston and erect their own museum um, and continue to build on that. So, um, the museum itself was four stories, and it was like, as we already know, it was arranged by Isabella herself. Like, she really was hands-on about how she wanted it organized and in fact she lived on the fourth floor of the museum while they worked on the museum's arrangement i love it i love it i know, I would do I know. That. that entrenched now <laughs> it was um you know she lived there until her death in 1924 so um when she all throughout her lifetime she continued to purchase the artworks and she would oversee where they would go and in the end like in her will she said this is how it needs to stay you know after after my death in perpetuity so um, the artwork was not permitted to be sold um not permitted to travel and this is actually very similar to another museum right here in pennsylvania the barnes foundation um So the Barnes Foundation's down in Philadelphia, and it did come under a lot of controversy when they, when it was decided that it would actually move. Um, But that's a whole other topic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to hear more about that, send us an email and maybe we'll do a whole episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I would love to talk about the Barnes Foundation because that was really quite, quite a thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stick around for more Gallery Guide. looking to get out of your house for some safe socialization then we've got just the event for you join us on tuesday june 8th at 12 p.m in the cerdoni art gallery for an art in context film screening with artist ray klimick Remote Viewing is a 32-minute video work that Klemek has filmed in France about the action of exploration. This video collaboration with poet Judson Evans will make its Pennsylvania debut here at the Sardoni Art Gallery. Previously, this work was accepted into the Athens International Film and Video Festival in Athens, Ohio. Be sure to sign up as Klemek will provide a talkback after the film to answer questions. And we're back with more gallery guides for Doni ArtCast.
0: So, so Carly, why why don't you tell us what happened uh, with the heist itself?
1: Yeah. So there's a lot to summarize, and I'm going to be honest. You are definitely better getting better off getting the full details from the documentary. But here's a like rundown that'll help us if you haven't seen it yet, but still want to follow along with the podcast. If you've mm-hmm. already seen it, feel free to skip ahead a little bit and join us for our conspiracy theories in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems sometime before that night, that St. Paddy's Day in, in um, 1990, security cameras were actually moved. So we have two men who were dressed as police officers that they buzzed the overnight security guard to get in probably around 1 a.m., a little bit after 1 a.m., and they said they had a warrant for their arrest, for one of the security guards' arrests. So they got led into the building. They're like, oh, come in, you know, and then they're like, hey, I recognize you, you're on this warrant. So then they restrained them and popped them in the basement, at which point I'm sure the security guards realized that these were not real cops. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then they start going through, using a floor map that they had, and they went through all the, a couple of the different galleries and removed artwork. But there really wasn't any sort of... This was not an Ocean's Eleven heist. Like you said, this was the antithesis of it. There was no rhyme or reason. They left behind some of the most valuable artwork. They left behind The Rape of Europa by Titian. They didn't even attempt to take anything from that room or the other early Italian rooms Um, They even noted that they weren't entered. Um, And they had room, they had artwork by Botticelli and Raphael. And we know this because the motion sensor recordings only show them going into particular rooms. Um, There were Degas paintings in the museum, but instead of taking the paintings, the burglars went for the charcoal drawings. And so it's really believed that they didn't know what they were taking. (laughs) It was kind of Instead of a heist, this was kind of a smash and grab, like the kind yeah, of thing so you would true. Ex- <laughs> right? That you would expect from like a jewelry store, <laughs> but instead, yeah. oh my god, <laughs> irreplaceable artworks! So they took these irreplaceable artworks, and it was like that scene in Vel- Velvet Buzzsaw when a professional art gallery just like. <laughs> shoved them in a crate with no bubble wrap no seed, no like not even like oh we're gonna put in a piece of like wax paper or cardboard here so they don't rub no they just rolled them up and threw them into the trunk of the car which is like probably the most horrifying part of this story like I could live with oh because that was the other thing when they took these paintings they didn't like lift the canvas off the wall they didn't even like kick the canvas out of the frame they took razor blades and they cut Right along the fray, you know, just cut those four, the four lines all the way around, rolled them up and popped them in the car horrifying.
0: (laughs) Seriously.
1: I hate it. Like sometimes I hear, I hear Heather's voice in my head screaming when I'm like, I I drove home with a frame that I had just gotten of Heather's print yesterday. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to put the cardboard on this. Oh, she would kill me. And I'm like driving home with one arm across, like I'm delivering pizzas and I'm like, we'll be safe. We'll be safe. So like these thieves weren't even thinking that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> god no it's crazy
1: but what they were thinking of and this is kind of odd and this is one thing that really stuck with um when they're investigating this is that they checked on the restrained security guards before they left yeah. um they left them there they didn't you know release them but they checked on them at the end of the heist multiple times throughout this smash and grab yeah. um And they, like, you know, are you okay? Can you breathe? You know, really
0: kind. Um, Yeah, like, even, like, they padded, like, where they they were handcuffed against the pole. They padded it so they wouldn't rub. (laughs) Right, yeah, like,
1: they weren't there to hurt anyone. They were just there to steal, which I guess, you know, the honor among thieves, maybe? I don't know. But long (laughs) story short they, you know, they yoink the video recordings, they leave the security there to be found by the morning shift. At this point, the cops are on their way. But like we said, unlike the perfect timing of movie heist, these yeah. thieves had over an hour to get the goods. I want to say it was like 81 minutes. They can, yeah, yeah, they exactly. were in there, but yeah. literally over yeah. an hour, which yeah, that,
0: that's unheard of
1: brings us to, they had a full hour. What did they manage to take?
0: Oh my God, yeah, so they broke away with about thirteen items, um so probably the most famous and um and I guess the thing that is that hurts the most mm-hmm. is the storm on the Sea of Galilee by Rembrandt. Um, this is the the reason why this is actually hurts so much <laughs> is that it's considered the only seascape by the artist, so oh. there are no other Rembrandt seascapes out there. This is the only one. And the cool thing about this painting is that, you know, we we have um, Jesus, you know, on the boat. It's very, like, huge waves, all this kind of craziness. But you have uh, a figure in the painting that is kind of breaking the fourth wall, making eye contact with you. And it's actually a self portrait of Rembrandt, which is really, I love it. So, yes, exactly. So (laughs) cheeky. (laughs) We have um, two others that were still uh, of Rembrandt as well the one is a lady and gentleman in black um and that is a painting of a of a family um what's really fascinating is that they x rayed um a bit when they you know over time just kind of like looking into the composition and the security and the safety of the whole thing and they found that there was once a child that was painted into the composition Mm. and then painted over because the child had died. Um, and it was too painful for the parents to actually look at the painting all the time. So that has an interesting history. Yeah.
1: And if, if I'm not mistaken, that happens a lot, right? Artists painted their work to, you know, edit things out, but also canvas wasn't cheap.
0: Yeah, exactly. Talk about analog Photoshop, like (laughs) 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 seriously. And then, um, the third Rembrandt that was taken was a very small self-portrait, which, um gosh you had to look to find it because it's almost something that could fit in like a suit coat pocket you know like it was very very small it was framed large but it's very small right um and then um so the next one and this is the one that hurts for me is the johannes vermeer um it's called the concert and it's and the reason why this hurts is that um, vermeer is a dutch renaissance painter um so you would probably know him um if you've seen the girl with the pearl earring. This is that, that artist.
1: I was gonna say yeah. he is
0: the Dutch Renaissance artist. Like if you know exactly. anyone,
1: you know him.
0: Exactly. So Vermeer, um, the thing that's also really kind of um, precious about Vermeer at, at, at this time and age is that, it, that the concert is only one of 34
1: hmm.
0: known existing paintings left of the artist it's worth 500 million dollars uh, yeah so that's that that's one that kind of stings a bit yeah <laughs> um we do as we've already mentioned we have the Degas um charcoal drawings Edgar Degas one of the premier impressionist painters of the era um oddly they didn't take the the portrait that was uh done by Degas and that was in the not in the same room but in the next room over they took these five charcoal drawings, which was, you know, somewhat odd. We have the 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 Shea Tortoni, mm-hmm. uh, which I know Carly's gonna talk about in a little bit. Mr. <laughs> but that's also, yeah, that, that is also a really bizarre grab because it was taken from a room where nothing else was stolen. Um, so they had to make a special trip. It's also not a very large painting. So they also had to know that it was there. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, we have um, an ancient Chinese goo, which is a uh, bronze vessel for wine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the oldest works in the collection that was taken. And then we have this very bizarre little uh, eagle finial, which was a French imperial eagle finial found on the top of like a flagpole or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I don't quite remember, but it, 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 it's something like that. But it's, it's not worth a lot. Yeah, it's, it's like a fancy like a screw. Exactly, it's a very decorative component uh, of something, and it wasn't. It 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 really had no value, or I mean, it has some value, but it really didn't have like trading value. Right, its part. value was being a part
1: of the larger piece it, that it was attached to.
0: Hundred percent, exactly, exactly. So those are the items that are still missing today so we go from sort of the irreplaceable the storm on the sea of galilee mm-hmm. <laughs> to the french imperial eagle finial mm-hmm. so yeah so like with all of that like why don't you lay out you know what do the police know because there, <laughs> there's it goes in a lot of layers
1: <laughs> exactly so again this is another situation where we know a lot less than we'd hoped. There has Mm -hmm. been more than 30,000 leads, hunches, forensic tests, psychic visions, jailhouse confessions, (laughs) hundreds of interviews with drug dealers, mobsters, retired police officers, journalists, museum directors, museum guards, art dealers, people from across the US, Asia, South America. Basically authorities are looking everywhere for these 13 pieces and they are no closer to knowing the whereabouts of the works. And this oh. is really because they have a good grasp on the what of the situation, right? We know what was stolen. Um, we know how it was stolen. You know, we have a good, you know, we know that they were cut out of these frames. They were rolled up, that they only took the finial and not the whole piece, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we do have a couple ideas on the why. And we're going to get into that when we talk a little bit more later. Um, yeah. But the where and the who just have everybody stumped. It's really turned up a lot of dead ends. And the thing with that is um, because especially by this point in time, you know, we're talking about this in 2021, but even if we were talking about this 10 years ago or 20 years ago, there's already a good chance that it would have changed hands multiple times since the robbery, which means that even if we find the culprits, we might not be able to find the artwork and vice versa. If the artwork shows up, we might not never be able to tie it to how it got where it ended up.
0: Right, right.
1: But we do know that even after this robbery, the museum still displays the empty frames. Why is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like, it seems kind of macabre to do that, right? Like, you know, we've had this major heist. It's somewhat of a blemish on the museum, you know, in regards to what was, you know, honestly considered pretty loose security, you know? Like, I mean, if you really think about the value of this collection and um, you know, for lack of a better descriptor, you had two stoners that are working overnight security there that mm-hmm. believe that they could possibly be on a police warrant to even like not put up any sort of <laughs> resistance to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. So, like this, this is a bit of a blemish on that museum. They keep the the frames in place in the museum. Number one, because they're really optimistic, they will have that artwork come back to them um they want to remain optimistic that it will come back to them in fact over the years um they have raised their reward you know which it went from a million to five million i don't know what it's that really yeah. at right now but they are really optimistic it will be returned so they are keeping its its place that's keeping they're keeping the seat warm <laughs> right but the other thing, though, too, is that they are also trying to honor Isabella Stewart Gardner, you know, she left she left in her will, you know, in that the collection is not to be rearranged or sold. Um, and we have in that endowment, um, at her death that this is this is the museum cares for these artworks so um, it is somewhat of honoring her legacy honoring her memory memory all that sort of things that Like, okay, so the piece is not being represented, but at least, you know, we know it will come back to us. And they just remain optimistic in that respect. So um, they do realize it's a bit macabre. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: I think at some point in the documentary, they did mention that it also had to do, you know, not just with the criteria of her will that it not be rearranged or sold, but that if it was the whole thing would kind of break apart right it wouldn't exist as so if they took down those frames there's a chance that there may be an issue with maintaining the museum period yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. so it, it it does make it interesting doesn't it uh i mean it is one of those things where uh to visit you know like the, to to kind of see where this all kind of went down I think it's also it becomes somewhat of an attraction not that they really want it to be you know not that that's what you want your selling point to be <laughs> right <laughs> could you imagine here at the Sordoni gallery that are like hey Ray Klimek you know this was stolen but we're going to keep the frame up don't worry about it you know no and look at the pieces <laughs> that didn't get took <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, no museum really wants to advertise their failings. (laughs) But we respect Uh, the shit out of them for doing so. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Well, okay, so let's talk about the actual series. Let's talk about the documentary itself. Yeah. Right, so as soon as this
1: documentary was mentioned, and I literally come up with this question anytime I hear about any sort of big famous whatever was stolen. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> like really. Like when someone stole Lady Gaga's dogs at gunpoint, I'm like, do you think that you're gonna get like you're gonna own celebrity dogs and then right. nobody's gonna recognize them? Or like, what's the catch?
0: I mean, it's true, because if you can, if you think about like the storm on the Sea of Galilee, it's the only one. It's
1: the only one. You're not
0: like, oh no, this is this is a storm on some other sea <laughs> by Rembrandt, exactly. Rembrandt's. Will know storm seascape series like it's not like there's no mistaking it
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so for me i was like my favorite part about the whole series was learning about how this stuff is treated in the criminal world because of course i'm terrified that they're going to do bad stuff to it right the good news is despite the smash and grab nature of the robbery itself, it really seems like the avenues in the criminal world actually do hold this art in some level of esteem. Right. So the first major avenue is the one that everyone thinks of. And that's the big baddies that like, you know, <laughs> bring me the Rembrandt to hang in my lair. And it's like, that's uncommon. Like no one's right. going to do that. You have to be like, I don't know, like maybe Elon Musk would do something. like yeah, right, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Um, the only way I could think that this would apply here is if somebody knew and was like, hey, I know the security at this museum is not as good as it could be. They're still, right. you know, decades behind. Bring me the right. Sea of Galilee and anything else you find is yours. And that's right. really fun and cinematic. It doesn't feel likely because they didn't treat any of these works with any particular care. So if someone was like, oh. bring me this piece, you would think that at the very least they would take that whole frame and smash and grab anything else to yeah. make it worth their while. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the ones who keep it as, you know, you've got the career criminals who keep it as leverage when they're dealing with the cops. So they'll say, oh, I could bring you the <laughs> missing Rembrandt if you cut me in a deal on these bank robbery charges. Isn't that insane? <laughs> I'm not really buying this one here, you know, like maybe now, like here and now in 2021, or, you know, for the past 25 years, that's how they've been treated. And that's how the art is being used. But I don't think there is any reason that would have sparked the initial robbery, right? Because it's like too big a risk. Like what crime did you commit that stealing a Rembrandt is going to get you leniency, yeah, right, right, right. Like, right. you got to be planning some sort of, like, assassination-level crap to, like, for that sure. to be worthwhile. Sure, right, right. So then the last one they mentioned, and this made the most sense, and I guess I knew that, um, which is a little boring but still pretty cool, is that it's being used as financial leverage. So it's basically, like, a mortgage in the criminal world. Yeah, right. Um, so, of course, there's, like, absolutely 0% chance that you're going to get the full value of the artwork that's stolen. but you can leverage it. So you might say like, oh, I have a shipment of they said the big thing at the time was cocaine. So I have $15,000 worth of, or $50,000 worth of cocaine coming in. And I've only got a thousand bucks right now. I know I could sell it. And I've got this $2 million painting. So you could keep this $2 million painting until I sell all the Coke and I'll give you the profits and I'll pay you back. So at that time, especially in South Boston, there was a lot of Irish mafia influence. They talk about the Irish and the Italian mafia, especially in Boston, potentially being involved. And so the Irish mafia in the 90s wouldn't be looking to use the art for drugs, but rather for guns and ammunition that would be supporting the IRA in North Ireland. So if they, you know, want arms, oh, right. all they got to do is say, okay, here's this artwork, give me the guns, whatever. So at this point, it's, it's trading hands all over the place.
0: Isn't that unreal? Oh my gosh, it's unreal. Ah. Oh, uh. <laughs> Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, and I'm sure so, none of them okay. are
1: wearing gloves
0: or oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> think, think about all the contracts we get when they come in here, you know, like you know make sure it's a certain lighting, make sure that you're wearing gloves, nobody can touch it, you know, like all that like, sort of stuff we, oh um, what's the um humidity levels
1: in your underground lair? We're not sure <laughs> if they um condition. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Could you please provide the, the um, printout of the k- climate fluctuations for the past three months? <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So what's your, what's your favorite of the 13 pieces? What's your favorite missing piece? Well, you already mentioned
1: it, but um, Shay Tortoni, really spoke to me um yes. there was this like really quotidian candidness in the work and the other thing that um recently came to me after we prepared the script was the idea that when you see a lot of these sort of ho-hum daily activity kind of pieces um that you're looking at the daily life you're yeah. seeing a lot of women being represented yeah, yeah and you don't really tend to see you know a handsome man just being appreciated for being a handsome little man enjoying his time I don't know it's like that weird misogyny that's like only women are beautiful enough to be painted (laughs) right 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 and then there's that one little lady who's like oh I call him tortellini he was so ugly and I'm like sold sold I want this ugly tortellini that was really funny, <laughs> Shane
0: Tortolini.
1: <laughs> so, how about you? What's What's the piece that kills you? It's, right it's the
0: Vermeer. It's the Vermeer. I, I I mean, the concert. I I you know, it's always been a favorite of mine. I, I really do. I love Vermeer. Period. Because mm-hmm. um, he uses space in a way, like talking about a little bit about like like do- documenting just everyday happenings that that that's literally what he's founding his whole career on it's just basically domestic life you know yeah and the concert what's so interesting about it is that um it's like you're almost a voyeur in this very um, intimate moment between teacher student kind of thing. It, 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 the concert it's a basically a music lesson. Mm-hmm. And you're you as the viewer, viewer are standing kind of way in the back of the room and you're seeing the whole span of the room and in the back you're watching this little moment and it's just really lovely and beautiful. Like it's not concert in the sense that you're going to the opera and it's being in the seats are jam packed full of people concert is just this small little moment of of a music lesson and i just love that aspect of it and and you know overall you know with vermeer it is the example of domestic life during the dutch renaissance i mean it's the beautiful black and white checkered floors it's the beautiful uh, and um like uh windows that are placed further up uh, on the wall they're not like kind of at the eye level They they tend to go a little further up so it lets in more sunlight you know because uh-huh. they're below level <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's it's just stunning and um and so I I, you know and then I always use this one as a teaching tool for students so not that they know that this is the stolen piece or they (laughs) even know of this art heist but um I love to kind of show it as a teaching tool for um drawing students learning perspective or in my uh women in art class learning about what life is like and what our artists are really focusing on at that time and they do tend to be focusing on images of women just doing everyday things right so, tells us a lot about what life was like yeah yeah so love it I just I just love it so it that one that one like I said that one stings <laughs> yeah definitely
1: so I guess now is our tinfoil hat time and we got yeah. to talk about wild conspiracy theory, the why, the how, where they're going to turn up. Um, and I will happily go first because I don't about this. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that the police or FBI or whoever are going to like bust a location and all of a sudden save all of the work at once. Like yeah. not happening. So yeah. I am basing this on the Imperial Fabergé egg story, as well as in 1992, there's a dude in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, who saw a really cool picture frame at a flea market. And he's like, oh, this Uh is great. I'm going to pick it up for four bucks, bring it home, popped it open. And in the back found an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Like I'm not, this was like one of the original drafts. So (laughs) throwing out there that people don't know what they have all the time. I'm going to say that if we eventually find these pieces, it's going to be like at an estate sale for someone who has no idea what it was. Right. So, imaginary timeline is heist happens, art <laughs> changes hands, a couple times back and forth is collateral for guns, drugs. And honestly, at this point, today's day and age, I don't even know what we're for Bitcoin, maybe. I don't know. Right. Whatever we're trading right. for things in 2021. Um, that's where it's still going. And I think At this point, or not at this point, but very early on, everything got split up. So the different pieces are all over New England, down to New York. Maybe some of them got into Europe. I completely
0: agree with that. I don't think they're together. Yeah.
1: No. So then one day we got this criminal who is mortgaging and he can't pay up. He's like, oh shit, I gave him the Sea of Galilee. I can't do, you know, I can't get it back. Um, So whoever was holding the piece is like, this is a hot Rembrandt. I can't do anything anything with this right I better give it to my Nona. she deserves fancy <laughs> things and she could keep her mouth set, shut so <laughs> grandma loves the artwork for years has no idea it's authentic you know she's right. she's a mob mom if you've seen i care a lot you know she could handle her own stuff so she's not going right. to say anything but she doesn't right. know it's authentic and she kicks the bucket and then the neighbors come over and help her pack up her stuff because her son's not around and they send it off to goodwill and when some lucky ho such as myself does the right googling to realize that i have just <laughs> solved one of the big biggest art heists in the world and then we rinse and repeat this like you know 13 times until we find all of the pieces
0: Right, 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 right. Oh god. <laughs> I think this is so funny. Well, you know, I I have somewhat of a, I, I feel very similar about all this. Like we know that the guys who actually did the heist, they were not masterminds of it. Like right. these were just purely guys to they they were muscle, you know, and I think we all agree on that, right? Yeah. And you I mean, I think even just like the series does a great job of like, kind of trying to hone in on who actually were the two people in cop uniforms and fake mustaches, which is the most best thing about this, are <laughs> wearing fake mustaches. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I know that it's not, they were not the people that really organized it. And I too think the collection is not together. And I, I think it's been sort of dispersed all about, I really have I, I really believe the woman, the Shay Tortellini woman. Oh, like I yeah. really believe her. Like I I kind of feel like what did she what does she have to lose about talking about Shay Tortellini? You know, and I, I keep saying that quote unquote kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, like what what did she have to gain to lie about it? And and the thing about it is that, you know, they're speculating that one of the smash and grabbers grabbed Shay Tortellini for himself yeah. and then hung it over his bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know like it it just sort of seems like um that seemed the most authentic thing to me you know yeah like in in regards to the other work like I also don't think the finial and the goo were like were meant to be or were on the list to be taken like I honestly think some dude was in there was like I'm gonna drink my perhaps Blue Ribbon out of that that is gonna be so dope like like (laughs) me yeah right (laughs) I would do that. <laughs> like, I just don't think that was part of the plan. Um, yeah. But the big paintings, I think those were the focus. I think the the Rembrandts were the or the two big Rembrandts and the Vermeer. I think those were what were the focus. Yeah. That is what they went in there for. They had the they had the gallery map. They knew where they were going. The video cameras were moved. You know, mm. so those I think were the objective. The other stuff was just sort of fluff. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to agree. I think they, those were the things that are being leveraged here. Um, I think too, there's a point in the documentary where they're talking to an agent who claimed to have seen the the, uh, storm in the sea of Galilee in a warehouse in Red Hook um so he is claiming that he um goes into this warehouse he you know they're being led in by it with flashlight he they open up the crate they unroll it and he sees it and, you know for a flash and there it goes yeah. I don't think that's the real one um I I think you know if we really kind of think about the age of these paintings um these paintings aren't going to withstand rolling and they're not going to withstand being rolled up for a long period of time, you know? Right. He says he didn't notice any sort of cracking or flaking or whatever. And like this paint is old, you know, like it's the varnish is probably exhausted. Rolling these paintings is kind of a death sentence. So I don't really think that, that when this guy went into the warehouse in Red Hook, I don't think that's the one. I think that's a copy. Um, and I definitely believe that 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 all of this has mob ties, you know, yeah. um, I think it's art for arms like I, I, I. that's just really my thought around the whole thing. So I don't think anybody cares. I don't think the mob cares about the um, Degas charcoals the finial, you know, I don't think they I don't know that they even care about the Rembrandt self portrait. Like mm-hmm. I, I just don't think they did. Um, I think it was really the the few big paintings that they've really cared about. And that's where they're going to get the most bang for their buck, really. Stick around for more Gallery Guide.
1: Are you ready to take art into your own hands? Then join us on Saturday, June 26th at 2 p.m. outside of the Sardoni Art Gallery, where we'll be hosting our Art in Your Hands workshop, a carbon zen garden. Inspired by the dark enchantment of mining scapes in northeast Pennsylvania and abroad, Ray Klimek highlights the mysterious beauty of the dark topography. Recreate this magic on your desktop at our Art in Your Hands workshop. Join us to create a carbon zen garden. We will learn the basics of wire wrapping to create gardening tools for zenifying your black sand garden with mining-inspired elements. And now, more of This is a Robbery with Gallery Guide. Ooh, so I hate to be the one to say this out loud, but... Is there a possibility that like all of this has just destroyed these pieces beyond repair and that they're gone forever?
0: Yeah um, I think there's likelihood that there that some of these paintings have experienced irreplaceable damage um, especially any that were rolled and um, and I don't think the Rembrandt portrait the little bitty one that you Mm could put in your suit pocket I don't think that one was rolled it's so small. Um, I think if the story is true that the someone's saw the Sea of Galilee and Red Hook, um, or imagining if the work was locked up in a trailer, like all of that has red flags for me. Um, so like we were already sort of mentioning like it, like jokingly, but this is there's some semblance of truth here. Lack of climate control, um, rodents and pests kind of having access to it, um, other airborne pollutants in the air, All of that can cause discoloration. Like, I don't know if you know, like girl with the pearl earring, the Vermeer Mm -hmm. girl with the pearl earring. Yeah. You know how it's like, it's like the portrait of her looking over the shoulder and she looks like she's in a very dark lit room. Yeah. That background is, was actually painted as emerald green. And over time it had patinaed so much because of pollutants in the air. Okay. Yeah. So like the, so not having it in a climate controlled, like safe environment, Mm -hmm. things can patina and they can change color or or like, or, you know, we have the stress cracks and all of the Mm -hmm. flaking that can potentially happen. I, I just see, you know, the rolling of, of the work really stressing the paint surface, which already kind of expands and contracts over time. So I just think rolling it as asking for picture loss. So I I don't know that the whole thing is gone, but I think, yes, we definitely are going to have loss with it. On the flip side, if we kind of think about the Degas charcoal drawings, um, rolling a paper is definitely a problem (laughs) with charcoal. Oh, yeah. I don't know if any of you have even picked up a a container of charcoal but you always have it
1: on your hands (laughs) if you've ever breathed too close to someone who's ever met charcoal
0: it's a freaking mess yes (laughs) yes so I see, and that's why I also think it was so insane to take the charcoal drawings like like why would you take these and try to roll them up because at that point you are also like like probably gonna lose a lot of that drawing because <laughs> it's going to smudge how like you can't tell me that there is a level of fixative on those because even like contemporary day yeah. fixatives that you use for dry mediums like that they're not infallible like you they're still you are still able to smudge them I cannot imagine that Degas has some sort of you know lifetime warranty on fixatives <laughs> that we're not still using today <laughs> like he, right. I don't think like it so I think rolling those um uh, they've got to be smudged they've got to be like not in great shape like if you're if you're pulling those out of frames because you you saw in the in the documentary like they they kind of like threw the frame even if they had took the frames off the wall they kind of like left them in the security office you know yeah. like uh-huh, like screw you guys they still got it kind of thing so like they may not have even because with the charcoal drawings you wouldn't necessarily cut those out of a frame they'd be behind glass so you'd have yeah. to take the frames apart and they left that stuff behind you know mm. so you know all the frames are there so we know that these car charcoal drawings were not protected when they left so those are my thoughts I, I i mean as as far as are they still around are they still safe no i don't think they are you know for but all of
1: with how much record we have of these pieces would restoration be something potentially feasible with certain potentially.
0: Yeah. yeah potentially yeah depending on the damage yeah yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, I, I, charcoal's a little tougher, um, mm-hmm. but but if we kind of think about the paintings and if there's any loss in the paintings, yeah, I could definitely see that. I just didn't want to end so hopelessly with this question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to feel God. like there's some element of like, yes. But maybe if they show up, and even if they're all, you know, flaking apart and it looks like dandruff, we can still see this original picture and almost restore it to what it originally looked like. I could cross my fingers.
0: (laughs) There again, I mean, there are such advancements in conservation anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, it is kind of impressive what um, conservators are able to do nowadays. And, um, you know, I, I, and I know I've said it before, but like Allentown Art Museum has their Rembrandt down down there. it's newly attributed, and they did a whole program around its conservation, which is also really pretty cool so um you know we we're talking all about Rembrandt, you know we've got one right in driving distance that yes, that's another to- free plug, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my God, they should be paying us honestly, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's just really, really cool uh, mm-hmm. to because they are kind of giving us that better understanding of what it takes to attribute a painting what it takes to restore a painting and and you know all of the little things in between that helps thread the needle um that's what i think is really cool but i hope that you know our chat inspires our listeners to watch this fascinating netflix series this is a robbery like it was it, I I watched it. It's it's four episodes, and I watched it all at once. I can't help myself. I have no self restraint. <laughs> so, you know, it's seriously one of those stories that if you've watched a movie about it, you'd say it's unbelievable, and yet believe it. It actually <laughs> happened. Like it, it's just unbelievable to me <laughs> it's a, it, it, it's it's not sexy it's completely ridiculous and clumsy and yet it's the biggest heist in history that still happened to you know just a few years ago
1: Of course, as we draw to a close, we have plenty of people to thank. Many thanks, first of all, to you, Heather, for your expertise. (laughs) Big thanks to our listeners for joining us, our SAG team for all the work they do getting, you know, helping us get this information together. And of course, with the exhibitions and around the office. And finally, a huge shout out to Netflix for making the series so accessible, so entertaining, and so goddamn bingeable. I swear (laughs) to God, you will polish it off in a weekend and be like, why is this not 20 more parts? (laughs)
0: seriously with especially with how complicated everything could is is in the story it's really (laughs) fascinating and we really did only scratch the surface it's still worth a watch we really gave you nothing away (laughs) but you know i also want to thank our sordoni advisory commission they are um, certainly a huge support to us here at the gallery our sordoni gallery members and of course Carly, who is definitely keeping the podcast moving, (laughs) she's able to kind of uh, wrangle uh, me and this uh, nine ring circus that we have going on here at the Sordoni (laughs) Gallery. But my my thought for you is: Do you have any qu- requests that you'd like to hear us talk about? Um, we would love to talk more about art and art related things, things going on in the art world now. Let us break it down for you. So contact us on social media. Um, our our handle is at Sordoni Gallery, and we are on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And Twitter, I guess we're on all of them, right? <laughs> um, and <laughs> of course, it, for more information about the gallery. Visit our website at wilts.edu slash Art Gallery. And of course, come visit us to see Carbon, which is open until July 16th.